1, verses 50, or 31 through 33. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. for each one who's here with us this morning. Our lesson comes from Ephesians chapter 5 and a few verses in chapter 6 as well. We're looking at really relationships, not just the home, but relationships that are found within the home, the husband and the wife, the wife and the husband and the children and those things such as that. And it doesn't seem like there's ever a time where this is not a uh, a good lesson to present because we know the world today has very different ideas regarding the home, regarding the relationship between the husband and the wife and the, the parents and the children. We know much of that is being pushed more and more uh, each and every day. And so it's never a bad time or a good reminder about these things as we've been going through the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, we pick it up here this morning. Uh, so I want to remind us this morning of the importance uh, following God's plan for relationships in the home. I want us to begin by noticing, if you will, Psalm 128 in verses 1 through 3. Here the Bible says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his way. When you eat the labor of your hands, you, sh- you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like, like all the plants all around your table. When I read these verses, I think about a home that is without, you might say, the drama of the world. I read of a home that takes pleasure in the things which we do each and every day. Many times we overlook what I call sometimes those simple things. Because you'll notice there in verse 1 how this begins. He says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. And then he begins to talk about what? When you eat the labor of your hands. That is, when you work, you provide for yourself, for your families as parents and as husbands and as, as members of the household. He says, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Isn't it interesting that something as simple as working, with your, working and providing for yourself, providing for your family, he says, will make you what? He says, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. And then he talks about how the home will be blessed when they follow God. And he uses the idea of having uh, many children, but the idea there is one of just a home that is happy because, as we find there in verse 1, those who have feared the Lord and are providing for themselves, they find the simple joys of happiness in the home. He says, uh, he says your wife should be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table, which means you will have a home that what? That is calm that is my and my idea here we find is blessed and is happy as we find here also in verses one through three there's nothing listed that is overly complicated is it follow god 
Revive your home and your house will be blessed in verse 3. And that's the idea we we're going to find as we go throughout this lesson this morning. Follow God, do His will, take care of your what? Your home, your families, and things will be well with you. We begin by looking at God's designed home because the home was designed by God. It wasn't designed by the world. We know much of anything. We know the world, when they design something, what happens? Well, a few years later, they go back and they have to remodel it, right? They have to go back and restructure it. They have to go back and repair things that are broken down. God's design is not outdated. It still it continues to stand the test of time. You think about for a moment, if you will, how much, for example, building homes has changed over the years. How many now, how now they have to have regulations to make people build it, make sure people build it in a safe way, right? Because if you don't, the house will not stand. And so over time, their plans have changed. But God's plan for the home has not. It hasn't had to be updated or to make sure have regulations put in to make sure certain things are done. God's plan for the home has been, been the same from the very beginning, with Him being the focal point of it, which makes all the difference in the world. We'll begin by looking at the purpose of God's plan for marriage, going back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, where the Bible tells us that God reveals it's not good for man to be alone. And no doubt he's talking, to, talking about Adam here, but I think we can agree with mankind, it's never good for someone to be alone. Whether are talking about male or female. He says, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper comparable to him. We understand those. We look about, we know that when two are together, things are much easier, isn't it? When we have that, the husband and the wife of the home, and that's what we find here in verse 18. It says, it's not good that a man should be alone. I'll make him, I notice, a helper comparable to him. I've never seen a helper in terms of the home and not of the commands of God being elevated above that position. While we find throughout the Bible that man and wife have their roles, they have their positions which God has designated and for good reasons, that both, both parties have no doubt respect and love for one another, and most importantly, they have a desire to follow God. God, as we find here in verses 19 and following, that God made a helper suitable for him. We know in verse 19, the Bible says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought it to Adam and see what he would call them. And whatever, he called, whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. In verse 20, what happens? They all came to him in the latter part of verse 20. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. It's interesting that God literally had the whole spectrum of nature before him, but only one person would work. Only one being, one creature, one creation, rather, would work. And it wasn't any of those things that Adam was naming in verses 19 and 20. No, those would not work for him. In verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. When something becomes one unit, the idea there very clearly is that it's not meant to separate. It's meant to be together for one, right? One flesh. 
He says they shall be one flesh. That is what? They are working together. A flesh that fights against itself, a person that tries to fight against themselves, they're going to have a very difficult time. The two become one in verse 24. This was God's plan. The man and the wife. Nothing else is mentioned. Nothing else is alluded to, which tells us nothing else would work. And we understand what God is telling us, right? That male and female was the only and still is the only solution in the home. It is nothing else that would work. Not male and male or female and female. No matter what the world may call it, God never called it marriage. He never called it a home. No, instead we find from the very beginning it was only male and female. Adam and Eve are an example of what the home is to look like. Male and female being where it starts in that marriage bond. We find there in verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. Being joined together in the case they were in a marriage bond there in verse 24. Next we notice God's blueprint. One man and woman in marriage until death separates them. Romans chapter 7. He says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. For the husband dies, she is released from the law for her husband. So then if, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no, no adulteress, though she has married another man. What we find there, what separates man and woman? Only death. Only death, the marriage bond, the only thing that separates them, right? And the Apostle Paul is very clear what he's talking about there in verse 7, or Romans chapter 7, 1 through 3. The only way the, the marriage bond is intended to end is by death. We know as we look at Matthew chapter 19, the instance about marriage and divorce, which we're not going to get into today in detail, but we know that God provided how many reasons for divorce? Only one. He does there in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, fornication, that is sexual unfaithfulness of, of one of the other. And that was the only reason. We also know, as you read, read all of Matthew 19, that God tells us that Christ reveals that was not God's desire for man was to for, be divorced. We go back to the book of Malachi. The Bible tells us that God hates divorce, for it covers one's garments in violence, which is a way of saying sin. And so what does God want from us? The word divorce should not be something we ever consider. We find said in Romans chapter 7, we are to be married until death, which tells us how important it is we pick a very good spouse. We make wise choices. We also find, if you think about God's blueprint for the home, that children are to be a product of love and are raised up in an environment that's respectful to God. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 14, Therefore desire the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give an opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Bear children means what? It means to have children, right? But the children ought to be a product of love, not of lust, not of anything else, but of love. Of love. A product of a marriage bond. Parents are to love their children, and children ought to honor their parents. Titus chapter 2, looking at verse 4. But they admonish young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, also tells us about the relationship between the, the children and the husband and the wife, which we'll talk a little bit more later. Love their children, and children ought to honor their 
parents. Instructions for the family. We notice as we think about some instructions for the family that God in Ephesians chapter 5 begins really almost in every occasion he begins with the husband first. He begins with the husband first. The husband's love and Christ's love as compared in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That is a deep kind of love, isn't it? There's probably, I'm sure there's not a husband in this room and if someone tried to touch your spouse to harm her, that things would get very interesting very quick, right? We would do what was necessary to protect our spouse. We do the same if our children were in harm's way, right? I don't say that it sounds overly manly, but we want to protect those who we care about, right? And we look here in Ephesians 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives. Which we think that is simple, that is understandable. But then also notice he describes how we are to love them. He says, just as Christ, now he brings in some very big, big things for us to think about. Just as Christ, here's a comparison, also loved the church. Wow. That's a deep kind of love, isn't it? Because what did Christ do for the church? He only purchased it with his own blood. He only died on the cross and ensured that mankind was saved. And at the same time, his church would be established. How much did Christ love the church? He came to earth, he worked for three years, and he died on the cross for it, he rose again. That's the kind of love that Christ has for the church. And he uses that same idea to describe how husbands ought to love their wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Colossians chapter 3, looking at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. We could focus on the bitter part, saying, why would a husband be bitter? I'm sure we could find all kinds of reasons why. None of them are ever very good. But he says again, what's he saying in verse 19? Husbands, love your wives. How we are to love them, like Christ loved the church. If you love your wives in that way, you're going to have a very hard time to be bitter towards them. Or it won't take very long if you realize I shouldn't be acting this way. You're going to change, right? Or it shouldn't take very long. Christ's love for the church is sacrificial and devoted, which is the model the husband is to follow. It was sacrificial and it was devoted. How devoted was Christ to the church? He literally gave everything for it. How are husbands to love their wives? In the same way. You know, sometimes we hear people talk a lot about the, the wife respecting the husband, but sometimes we forget how much the husband's to love the wife. Because when a husband loves the wife like he should, respecting the husband and being submissive to him won't be that big of a deal, right? Because it wouldn't be hard to be submissive to someone who cares and loves, for you, loves you so deeply. And so for that reason why we understand when we talk about the husbands loving their wives, why it becomes, when we think about the wife honoring her husband as we will later, we'll find it won't be as painful as the world would make it out to be. The world, of course, when we talk about being submissive to the world, wants to yell and shout all kinds of things that go against the Word of God. We think about this next idea of bring up, talking about children. The husband is to bring up their children in the training and admonition of the Lord. He says, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition, literally meaning the encouragement of the Lord. We build them up in Christ. We guide them according to God's standard, not man's standard. Schools today are, like, are enjoying trying to sneak things in to teach your children. We have to keep a close eye on them, as I was reminded here last week, about what our 
schools are teaching them, and we have learned a new phrase, which I, or I have learned one called opt out, where we opt out of certain things. Because it is the parents and the fathers, mentioned here specifically, they are to raise up the children. Not saying the mother is excluded, that's not what he's talking about. But he's focusing on fathers here, as he'll get to the, to the woman and to the wife later, and the mother later. But he says, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up, which tells us that those who are, who are in charge, those who are the ones who have the duty to bring up your children, are you, no one else. The church can help you, but it's not their job, right? We've talked about this before. I don't know how many hours it's been here with the church. It can't be the church's sole responsibility, sole responsibility to bring up your child, so we must have a part in it. We can't rely on others to do it, because we find here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, what does it say? And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The word in the King James, in the New King James, is translated training. In the, in the, in the King James, it's actually translated nurture. In the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But the idea is the same, isn't it? We bring them up using God's standard. The husband is not to do things that would deliberately provoke children to wrath. Colossians 3, verse 21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Uh, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I think about it this way. Try not to be overbearing. Try not to be overbearing. We want our children to be well-behaved, and I mean, I'm right there with you. And I see, and I know sometimes, I'm sure myself, I'm guilty of this, of being overbearing, because I want our child to be well-behaved. Other parents want their children to be well-behaved. And we know sometimes we see those who are not doing anything at all. We have those who are overbearing, we have those who aren't bearing anything, right? They're not doing anything. We want to be those who try to keep that balance of guiding our children in the Word of God without, not say, just being on their backs the whole entire time. Next, we think about this idea of love and respect. The Bible teaches that the wife is to love her husband, Titus chapter 2 and verse 4. That they admonish young women to love their husbands, to love their children. That sounds like a simple command, right? To love their husbands. As we know, we know and understand, the husbands are to love their wives. And both, doesn't love include respect? Doesn't it include caring? Doesn't include uh, so much more than just saying the words, I love you. It includes uh, respect and care and no doubt trying to, to protect one another. The wife, as we find in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18, the Bible says, Wives, submit your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. If we go back to Ephesians 5 verse 25, Colossians 3 verse 19, the husband is to love his wife as Christ of the church. So when we think about things about how the wife is submitted to her husband, who is she submitting to? Someone who loves her just like Christ loved the church. When we say that word submissive, as we find there in verse, or submit there in verse 18, we know the world throws up a red flag, right? That's talking about, you know, the wife is just to be quiet. That's something the Bible says. You know, the Bible never tells, never mentions anywhere where the, where the wife cannot speak to her husband, cannot ask, ask him to her husband, cannot have a normal conversation or normal actions with her husband. Because when we read the word submit, the world wants to say, well, see, you have to be quiet and just be that, you know, old style, never say anything type of thing. That's not what the Bible's talking about. It means that the person who's the head of the home, as we know very well, as the Bible points out, the head of the home is to be the husband, right? 
But who was the head of the husband? The Bible tells us the head of the husband, the head of every man is Christ. And so the husband submits to someone as well. The wife submits to someone. The children submit to individuals, the husband and the wife, the mother and the father. Submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord, which means what? You obey your husband so you don't follow them down the path of sin. As is fitting the Lord, you don't follow them down the path of sin. No one is worth going to eternal damnation for. The wife is to respect her husband. Ephesians 5, verse 33 tells us, Nonetheless, each one of you in particular shall love his own wife as himself, as the wife see that she respects her husband. Both are to do what? Respect one another. The word respect, as we know today, has been twisted to make it sound like it's only one, one direction. Depending on who you're talking to, the direction may be different. But we find here in verse 33, where is the respect going? To the husband, to the wife, to the husband, to the wife, right? As they, or as they are both being submissive to God. We look at Titus chapter 2, looking at verse 5. Uh, he's talking about wives. He says, not, he says to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, so the word of God may not be blasphemed. Again, you think about what he talks about here. Are any of these things negative? No. The negative part comes in when, the, when we allow others to try to tell us how bad this is. To be discreet, what does that mean? Well, to be discreet, we know the opposite of discreet is, right? Someone who's very boisterous, very loud, who might sometimes say even obnoxious. To be chaste, no doubt means they are what? They are respectable, including their dress. Homemakers, simply meaning they take care of things at home. Good, well, that's a big word, good. What does that simply mean? To do those things which are good in the sight of God, which would include, as he says next, Obedient to their own husbands. You know, think about this for a second. How hard is it to be a, to be an employee of, of a, at a at a job where, where your boss is outstanding? If your boss is kind and is understanding and understands the needs of their employees, while at the same time expecting them to do their job, is it hard to work for that type of person? But if you have an employer who says, you may have two weeks vacation, but you're not taking them this year, that's a hard person to work for, isn't it? You see, that's, that's what I think about. It's easy to be in submission to, for example, the husband, to be in submission to God when we see how much God loves us, how much he cares for us, what he's done for us, what he has promised to do for us. And the same it should be in the marriage bond as well. When the husband allows the wife to see how much he cares for her, submission should not be a problem. Because why? Because the respect there means what? It means they're still working together. Obedient to their own husbands. And now here we know in verse 5 why. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. That we may not bring blasphemy upon God or upon His word. Because God's word tells us how we ought to live. And when we disobey it, what do we do? We, we bring blasphemy and reproach upon it. Next, we think about this, these, these words here, respect, obey, and honor. And we'll be talking about, we're talking about children now. Colossians 3, verse 23, uh, Colossians 3, verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Obey your parents in all things. It means we do what we are told, right? 
Obey means you do what you are told. He says there in verse 20, in all things, and he tells us again why, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. A child, you know, of course, we understand no child is perfect, right? But when a child does, generally speaking, what they're told to do, and they're well-behaved, doesn't that make things just a whole lot easier? You find a home that is without, as I say, drama, but unruly children can have quite the opposite effect. We find in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, he says again, speaking to children, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is a first commandment with promise. It's hard to honor fathers and mothers and believe they're doing so, for children believe they're doing so when they're talking back, right? When they're rolling their eyes and getting an attitude, that's not, that's not an honor. Honor and on your father and your mother, he says, which is the first commandment with promise, and then he tells us again why, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long, long on the earth. It may be well with you when we do what? When you obey your parents, because he says it's right, as it's right in the sight of God, and you honor your father and mother. I can tell you that when you honor your father and your mother and, they, and you're respectful to them, I can tell you you're a lot more likely to have things that you would enjoy in your life. They should probably spend a lot less time grounded in your room when you honor your parents and respect them, those types of things. When we do what is right, things will always be better. We also notice that, disobe- that disobedience to parents is included with a list of other very serious sins. Look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 30. He talks about, notice all the things he talks about, backbiters, uh, back, haters of God, violent, Proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, and then disobedience, disobedience to parents, among all those things listed there, tells us how, how serious God takes children being obedient to, those, uh, to their parents. In verse, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 2, he does the same thing. For, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Among all those serious things he includes, which tells us it's very serious to God, being disobedient to parents. We want to be pleasing to God and have Him pleased with us, then we obey our parents and we honor and we respect them. Some lessons for us today. I want us to notice how God's plan includes love and respect for all. God's plan includes love and respect for all. It's hard to say, well, God's been so hard on me and not on you. Have you looked at the husband? Have you looked at the wife? Have you looked at the children, what God expects from us? None of us are given things that are easy, but we're all given things when we do what we're supposed to do in God's eyes, according to God's Word. When we obey God's Word and we love our spouse and treat her like we're supposed to, we love our, our wives, love our husbands like they're supposed to, the children obey their parents and our them like they're supposed to, the home will be an incredible place. It'll be a place you'll never want to leave. All those times together, you're no longer worried about, you know, obeying or disobeying because you just do it. It's what you do. The love and respect is there, and it goes towards the husband, it goes towards the wife, it goes towards the children, and the home is a much happier place than anything we've ever seen on television. It's a much happier, happier place. God's plan includes all parties respecting one another, and God's plan also has a role for everyone. The husband, the wife, 
and the children. All are included in God's plan for the home. All those relationships are based upon love for God, respect of Him, and then it goes down the line for all those who are part of that family. We also want to notice that God's plan promotes love and kindness. God's plan promotes love and kindness. Go with me, if you will. This won't be on the screen. Back to Psalm 128. As you think about how God's plan promotes love and kindness, you go back and look at Psalm 128. Look again at verses 1 through 3. He says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. For those ways we've been talking about this morning, our relationship with one another in the home. We need the labor of your hands. You shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Talking about what? A quietness that you are providing for yourselves, providing for your for your health, for your family. He says, you shall, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like the like the olive plants all around your table. What's he talking about? When you follow God, the home will be a place that's a place of rest, a place of encouragement. It's sad, I think about some individuals who talk about how when they leave work, they drive around the block a few times before they go home. Or maybe they stop somewhere and they get a drink, they, they stop somewhere and they get a meal before they go home because when they get home they know it's going to be loud, it's going to be obnoxious, it's going to be hard, it's going to be a place of rest. And honestly, that makes me very sad to think about that. Our, our home should be a place Maybe allow the maybe allow the children. That's not always a bad thing, but it's a place that's comforting. It's a place of encouragement. God's plan promotes a love that creates closeness in the home. It creates a closeness in the home that we want to spend time with one another. Where there is love, closeness, and respect, kindness towards one another will also be common. Doesn't mean we'll ever have someone disobey or do something or say something they shouldn't. But the vast majority of the time, the home will be a place that we want to be. A place where love is, where, where we are close to one another, where we respect one another, and where kindness is not something that's rare, but something that's commonplace. As we think about relationships, we think about the relationships in the home, God's plan has stood the test of time. We know there's numerous books that are out there, no doubt some of them have some very good things for us to think about, especially those that are based upon the truth of God's Word. It gives us maybe some more insight on some things. Not that God's Word doesn't give us insight, but it gives us some things to think about. But if it deviates from God's plan, it's not a, it's not a book we should be listening to. Because God's plan has stood the test of time. And while God's plan may not be what the world wants, it's the one that always works. God's plan always works. It's a plan that brings closeness, brings contentment, and it's a plan that's interesting. We notice God's plan doesn't mention anything about being focused on materialism. It doesn't mention anything about having the perfect clothes. It doesn't mention anything about having the perfect car, the perfect house. You know, God's home is focused on relationships between the husband and the wife and the children. The physical side of things, like like I said, the material side of things, they're not even mentioned there. If you look at the world, they're always included, right? 
But God's plan is focused on you and me. It's focused on the husband, the wife, and the children. And that's where the focus has to be. With God, of course, as we know, as we've seen today, being the most important part of any home. This morning, as you think about these things, we can help you or encourage you in any way. You can come forward now. That's going to be saying, sing the song that's been selected. Oh, to Jesus, I'm...